Welcome to the Events Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Taylor, and each week I talk with event entrepreneurs about how they plan, promote, and run their events. We help you build your events empire by growing your business using live events. Whether you're running community meetups, conferences, trade shows, IT training, music events, or literally any type of event, we focus on finding actionable tips that you can use straight away. The podcast is sponsored by Apps Events. We produce over 300 of our own events across the globe every year, from training to conferences, and we're now sharing our expertise to a small group of event professionals. There's a couple of ways we can help you. Firstly, we can run the logistics for your event. We have a whole support team who can handle all the heavy lifting for you. We can help set up your website and agenda, liaise with your speakers, deal with the huge volume of questions you'll get from attendees, we can liaise with venues, and we can come to the event to actually run it for you on the ground. Get in touch with james at appsevents.com and we'll jump on a call to see if we can help. Secondly, I offer one-on-one coaching to help event entrepreneurs grow their events. I want you to get more attendees, produce epic events, make more money, and most importantly, to do it all with no stress. So just email me at dan at appsevents.com and we'll jump on a call. And now, onto the interview. Interesting. Look, where can, what's, what's your website, uh, your wife's website for, for hiring from the Philippines? That's called visionfind.com. Cool. I'll put the link in the show notes. James, fantastic. Um, uh, just really quickly, I want to just jump onto another topic, if, if you don't mind. Um, communities like this it's the events podcast but it's kind of you know morphed a little bit i mean a lot of people who listen to this run some kind of event you know to support their main business some don't even run it they're just thinking about it some have events businesses but i guess one thing common in common with most of the listeners is they have kind of an audience you know they're, they're usually running something in person which means they have they have a group of people and i've always thought about myself about organizing a community and i know you're big on, i know in, in um super fast business you you coach a lot of people have communities and stuff like do you think it's something that a lot of more people should think about especially people that i'm talking about who have an audience already maybe they meet them once a year at their event uh, to build some kind of community uh, as well i would have thought so i mean if you have a software subscription they probably have a user community event yeah um Events. I mean, su- surprisingly, one of the glue glues that binds my membership together is in-person events. Um, yeah. Up until the March of 2020, March of 2020 was the last in-person event I ran for super fast business. But I've run an event every year. So like, I've had about 12 or 13 events. Yeah, yeah. I still run events in the Maldives. So if that's an in-person event, yeah, and that's drawing on my community. Uh, there is, there is, yes, and and then there's um, local meetups. So my members all around the world would meet each other, and that's what keeps people connected. And then they want to stay a part of your membership. So I really draw on group dynamics for this. Yeah. You know, when people come together, they they sort of do that sort of pecking order thing, and they find their spot, and then they start to perform quite well. And it's like a lot of kids went to summer camp in, in the States and um, in other countries we go to some form of camp and you meet new people and you hang out and then you don't want it to end. Well, that's what a community is good for. If you yeah. wrap it around your product, then you'll end up having uh, a much deeper experience. And some brands do this particularly well. I think Nike has a very powerful community that they've started an online community, but there are other brands that do it. And, uh, 
if you if you can have a community and, and they become rabid, I remember there was a there was an Audi Mums Facebook group. One of my clients started that, and she went on to create a um, a business called Parent TV, teaching people how to look after their kids properly. Anyway, that was a Facebook group where all these mums were sharing how to. Um, you know what the good things at the supermarket were, and what they could buy, and what specials were on, and how to how to make different things. And it, it was just this huge, unofficial, unsupported you know community yeah, yeah. wrapped around an actual product. And they, you know, the sales from that would be totally disproportionate to the rest of the population. They'd be way off the scale, I reckon, in terms of average customer value. Yeah. So yes, I blend events with an online community. But I think more than ever with the separation and the distancing that's happened over the last year or two, um, people do want to be part of a community. I think that's why Facebook has been uh, strong up until they yeah. became a really undesirable company, and <laughs> which I would argue was a while back, but people yeah. are starting to find out now. I, I think um, the reason that, that uh, you know, our behaviours are driven towards this desire to be involved in a community yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I guess you, I guess you're talking about it a lot from the point of view of someone who so they've got an online community and they run events to support and grow their community. And I guess I know quite a few people who run events but don't have a community. And I'm thinking, you know, and some that's how mine started, right? Oh, really? You started okay, just, interesting. Yeah. So, um, there's two sort of ways that it started, but one was someone was selling a product and I became an affiliate, and my uh, bonus offer was that uh, if they buy this product, I will get a commission. So I will then help them walk through the course and I created a community around this. So I actually created a community off the back of someone else's product. Um, So that was kind of event-based in that we went through a course together and and online. But then now I had this membership and I, um, I found myself speaking at some events and I went to a mastermind. I was at Yannick Silver. Uh, trip in Baja, Mexico. I sound like such a playboy, don't I? Like, I was just driving across the desert in our rally car. Anyway, no, this is like a mastermind thing that he ran, Mavericks. And I was there and I said to the guys there, uh, probably guys, a couple of girls, what should I sell from stage? And they said, sell an event, sell a workshop. And I'm like, okay. So I was speaking from the platform and then I would sell my in-person event uh, which was going to be in a hotel. Uh, it was a two or three day event, and it was a few thousand dollars. And I had to give the promoter half, and then I'd have to hire the room and cater. And anyway, so I ran these in person events, and they loved them. Uh, they'd come yeah. to this event, and in two days, I'd teach them how to find a market, become an affiliate, choose a domain name, build a website, publish it, and then start promoting it. And they were just ecstatic. Yeah. And uh, I remember, I remember I listening to that. You, you, you took on too much, though. It was a lot of hustle. Oh, there's 130 people there. I had to help 130 people who are complete beginners build a website yeah. in like by the second day. But I did it. Yeah. Uh, it still sounds unbelievable now when I say that. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, do you, still, do you know if any of them still run those businesses to this day? Yeah, heaps of them are in my community now since two, really? that was 2009. I mean, I yeah. just had one of them over here for tea. In my new, she's my neighbor, <laughs> um, and she's she's got her own team of writers online. So, yeah, absolutely, I got some long term players have stuck with me the entire time. So I'm very lucky. And yeah. 
Um, the events went well, so I just kept running them. But I said, you're going to need support after this. So I gave everyone who came to the event 60 days free access to my membership. And then I support them after that. And as, as I mentioned, I've still got members from 2009. The yeah. average retention in my membership is over four years. Right. So, you know, there are some people who have been there for 10 years. And there's many, many, many people been there three or four years. And most of them um, have come to an event or been part of it or were in the 50% of people who typically come to my event who are not members and yep. get a voucher and 75% of those people become a member. So selling off the back of live events to a subscription is a killer business model that has worked incredibly well for me and they are the people who stay the longest. Right. Now what about, I mean, some people run free communities. Do you think there's any value in that for some people or do you, would you normally recommend, you know, if you can, if, if you think people will pay to make it a paid community? I don't do it. Yeah. I think, yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's like... Um, I think it's insane, but, <laughs> I, you know, I'm counterintuitive. Maybe it works for some. I know some coaches teach the model of have a free community, put yeah. it on Facebook, pitch them your paid product or whatever. There's no way in hell that I'm logging onto Facebook for eight hours a day serving people for free. I have to yeah. give my best to my paid members. Good I'll point. do free podcast guest spots. I'll post in other people's communities. I've sold a lot of my memberships from other people's communities by just popping in and answering a couple of questions. That's been yeah. a tactic I've done since 2006, yeah. um, serving other people's communities, special guesting or whatever, uh, speaking from platforms of other people's communities. I think when it comes yeah. to doing my own stuff, I much prefer to have a paid community. Yeah. What about, um, you know, you're obviously pretty well known and, and I guess, initially people join it because of you you know but but is there always a balance to be made between making it about you and your teachings and about learning from other people in the community which is obviously a huge part of it how, how do you strike that balance of the community i don't think anybody joins because they want to join a community of other people that's not yeah. the primary reason someone would join but it's certainly a primary reason why someone will stay because they right. they bond and they become friends and they have a peer group i ran a call this morning part of my community i have a higher level program where they come it's called intensive right and they come to a weekly group call and a lady in the call said i just want to say i love these calls because we can share it's a safe place uh, we're talking about real things and i value everyone here and i think it was seven people on that call yeah and it was just lovely it's like a heart melting moment of gratitude and that is epic so, yeah, um, I don't think I don't think they had that in mind when they joined. I think when, when they joined, they've got a business problem they want solved and then yeah. this thing happens and they're not going anywhere because they love the call. They, love, they want to come back next week and hang out with their friends as well. And we yeah, share. We're, yeah. It's like it's, I, I, I love it the most. I mean, I, I even get paid as well to come, which is awesome, but... I'm yeah, also yeah. working, that's my work, you know, in air quotes, I have to work um, by facilitating these meetings and I've been facilitating meetings like that since 2009 or 10 and uh, I'm actually on the same meeting link. I've had a meeting link running weekly for more than 10 years and not many people in the online space would have done that. Right. But it's, it's, a, it's a long play but it really pays. It's really been a good one. 
That's fantastic. I guess, uh, James, I know we're getting close to the end of time. Like what in closing, you know, I'm keen to get different people's opinions on what people think the future is for, you know, you and me both, we run our own events and stuff. But what do you think the future is? I mean, it's, we still, you know, I've, I've just been to three events. I was at one in London uh, in October, which was great. Uh, I wrote, we ran a small training event ourselves, uh, and then two, two events here in Dubai which is relatively, you know, COVID-free, at least if you believe the government. Um, what I mean, obviously, people have been running a lot of online events. In the meantime, hybrid, you know, people are talking about hybrid. Uh, I'll give you my opinion in a second, but what, what do you think? Like, what, what, what do you think is going to happen, like, in the future, short and medium-term future for live events? For context, I have quite a few clients in different spots of this scenario. I have yep. a client who's in the trade show market. Like he's literally run software for events. That's his business. He's been a bit side side swiped last yep. year. Yeah. Um, but we use that time to rebuild the software. Yeah. What we're seeing with him is that people are starting to sniff around about events, but I think it's still too early in the North American market where he's pretty yep. active. People are going to events there, but there's a few sort of requirements and they're still in that sort of I'll probably just do it online versus I think the people who really need networking and and love live events and have been missing it badly, they'll be the earliest to move on that and then the rest yep. will come. But it's too early. I think that's a next year thing for that market. Yep. Europe's obviously having major problems uh, <laughs> and unrest yep. and, and stuff. It seemed like it was all good, but it's going into winter again. So I think forget that for a little while. Yep. Australia, I mean, you, you could barely even move around from – from states, so there's no chance I would run a live event in Australia uh, in yeah. the short term. The people who have been who switch completely, I've got another client switch completely from in-person events to online events, and this company does like over twenty million dollars a year, so it's quite a big pivot for them. They're finding um, that the online events worked particularly well until about now, and they've sort of milked and fatigued the market. So. Yeah, they're in a crossroads where they really need to adapt again and maybe try and go back to a hybrid at least. But then it's still a bit early for them in this market. That, then I've got another client. Way. Sorry, Karen. You're right. Um, I've got a client who does really high-end workshops, and yep. I've got him set up in his unit now with sound and lighting and and proper staging and switching. And he just ran an in-person event, and he was able to pull half a million dollars from that event off um, off a on a profit split where he didn't pay for the leads at all. He was just given the leads. And yep. instead of the in per, instead of the in-person event where he would have had less people and uh, his conversions were actually much higher and really? logistically much easier and there was virtually no costs. So he's going to be um, – the big difference for him is he can now expand that across multiple front ends where he, could, he had a physical constraint to in-person events, which is the reason I left um, speaking from stage in about 2000 – in 10 or 11, I'm like, this yeah. is so unleveraged compared to online. So yeah. I think the leverage of online is not going away. I think people are much more um, savvy about what a Zoom is or, a, you know, when my parents who are one, one of them's 80 and the other's 77, when they're doing Zooms with their friends, you know, this is, this is moved. Things have moved. Um, yeah. I think it, it, there will be a thirst and a demand for in-person stuff and travel and all of that. But I think we're a while away from that. I think yeah. I'll put at least another year on it. I'm going to the to the Maldives in September uh, for my event. 
you know, it looks like it's all going to be fine, subject to any major um, breakouts or, or you know, mass depopulation <laughs> from yeah. injuries or whatever. Like, you know, there's all sorts of theories about what could happen. Yeah. I don't know. But I think people crave in-person meetings. But I also yeah. think there's a lot of uh, hoops to jump through with testing, legislation, travel problems, yeah. extra costs and uncertainty. So that's why I think I'd rather put a two- or three-year window on it before I resume regular events. Yeah, it's interesting you, you said about, um, you know, you stopped speaking uh, and, and you found the online more efficient. And I think um, it's interesting because, you know, going to, going to three events recently after a long time, you know, I've forgotten how much... Um, like the serendipity of meeting people in person, like both like the event I just went to and the one in London uh, looks like there could be two pretty big deals I'm going to get from this. And it wasn't even why I was there. It wasn't the customers I had to meet. It was, just, it was somebody I already knew who I could have talked to just like this. Um, but, we, you know, we were chatting early in the morning before the show started and we had a coffee and then we went out for beer and it was like, oh, we could do this and this. And it, and it looks like it's going to be something, you know, real, you know, like mutually beneficial for both of us. And and that's what I'd kind of forgotten about. And and I'm sure there are ways to create that online um you can't you can't there's no way to recreate that i love that i mean i built my whole business on going overseas so often i was probably overseas every month for a long time so for for the good part of 10 years i traveled around the world at most a year or two (laughs) i went to so many markets i had even in australia a lot of the australian listeners will be interested to know that austrade supports of you know Australian businesses building an export market and they give you a grant. So yeah. I I use that. I've went to lots of events. I've spoken on stage in front of many, but the networking is where I've built the power of my business. So the level yeah. of the people I coach who I've met in person is very high because I've met them in person. And yeah. that's my actual best medium. I was in a face-to-face sales role for so many years. So I'm very good in person. Yeah. But that being said, I'm sort of, I'm happy just to surf by myself most of the time now. I feel like I'm at the, I've done that bit. But if you haven't done that bit, I can see there's going to be massive, massive demand for it. As soon as conditions permit, it's going to be game back on, but there will be hybrids. People will sell online tickets to their event as well as in person. And you'll get the people who want to network will go to the networking. The people who can't go or logistically won't will be okay with watching it online now where they might have resisted before because they've sort of built a routine around home or they might have moved to a place where it's harder to get to a major airport or whatever or they just don't want to risk it yeah yeah great Jim, that's a great place to finish i think thank thank you very much as always it's a real pleasure and i hope you get some some new signups uh for, for this to your community now where should people find you superfastbusiness.com is that the, the main place you know the drill, Dan. You know, Jim, your podcast, I like it because I like it for two reasons. The one that always makes me laugh is you you worked for Mercedes-Benz, uh, like running some dealerships. And like, I just can't understand how many life and business lessons you learned from that job. Like, every, like I didn't barely remember what I had for breakfast, but it seems like every every day something happened and you were like, you know, and I think maybe it's because you think about it and you've gone back over your experience there and said, okay, this, this taught me that bit. You, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of lessons you learned from that role. And it's amazing how you remember them to me anyway. I, I reckon uh, I always sort of like dog years. I think one year in the motor industry is like seven normal person years. Yeah. I felt like the older version of me was the big work ethic, um, 
I, I packed a lot in, you know, I yeah. really packed a lot in my career and I'm not sure why I remember stuff, but I have a really good memory, which is great. Yeah. Thankfully, I hope I get to keep it. Yeah. Um, but there's so many stories that you still haven't heard, which is why I, I keep <laughs> wheeling them out. And, you know, some of my greatest stories are from even before that motor industry phase, but I did yeah, spend yeah. quite a bit of time, you know, I went from 1995 to 2008 in that, field at a high level so there was you know i packed a lot in that time of so many relationships and situations when yeah. i cleaned out my garage for my move i found so many interesting tidbits and reminders of of there was some crazy crazy stuff but yeah my debt collection days gave me a lot of oh, yeah. fantastic <laughs> stories and but i've always looked for the lesson in stuff even if it's adverse because there was it was a tough industry it's still the only nightmare that I have is that I'm still working a car dealership. It's a, it's a warlike environment. It's still, a, it's a good life lesson for anyone, isn't it? Like just don't make the It sounds obvious and it is obvious, but don't keep making the same mistakes. Like, you know, you've, you've, if you remember why you did something wrong, like try not to do that again, you know, or why you did something good, try to do that again. Well, my, my, uh, one of my mentors in that industry used to have this metaphor, like you go in, you go into a new house and you've got a kitchen there you pretty quickly learn which are the hot plates that you, you know, if you burn yourself on the hot plate once, don't touch it again. And yeah. I always remember that, that metaphor. So I'm thinking about, yes, only pay once. I love that saying about mistakes, just pay once, even better. Listen yeah. to guys like me or you and learn from our experience. <laughs> so you don't have to because our age equals wisdom. So over time you yep. get exposed to more information and you can come up with, patterns and recognize lessons and be able to share them. That's probably the thing I like the most now is yeah. sharing uh, wisdom with the people coming up through who can just take a shorter path. Yeah. And, and what's great now is especially like, you know, I'm in a dynamite circle, you know, down and in and, and um, what I like is I think, you know, there's a lot of young people now, like people in their early twenties and stuff who are like, that, you know, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know any of this stuff. I, I had no sources and pre four hour work week. I mean, I read, I read Rich Dad Porter, maybe, and it kind of like resonated a little bit, but now, you know, there's like, people can join communities like yours and get like a, a massive kickstart in their business. You know, they can really just, they don't have to go through all the years we did of working jobs that we're learning lessons from, you know, they can just get straight into it. I feel like we're kind of lucky that we got to, that I got to grow up before phones yeah. and, that I did have the old school work background. I feel like I was, I've, I've been lucky with my aging, but yes, they'll also miss out on some of the rewards that come from what we did. So yeah. it's the, the most important lesson, I think, and I certainly have applied this, is you need to have good connections to older people around you yes. to connect with that history, understand your history and how things happened because it's very instructive uh, you know, in terms of you have an advantage over just hanging around your own peer group and trying to figure everything out. Yeah. James, we've already ended the podcast and kept talking, so I'm going to end it right now. Thank you very much for your time. All the best.